You are listening to Stand Out on LinkedIn, indispensable truths, tools, and tips, a show designed specifically to help you stand out. This podcast is for everyone looking to maximize their brand, network, career, and business initiatives, meaning finding a job, hiring, selling, and marketing. That pretty much includes most people. My team at Intero will be sharing their expertise and insight to get you one step closer to gaining traction and being a standout on LinkedIn. My team spends hours each day on LinkedIn, assisting companies in developing their brand, finding new talent for job openings, and even creating content to help professionals establish their credibility. The information they share on this podcast reflects what they see and do each day. If you're looking to stand out on LinkedIn, then you've come to the right place. Listen and receive actionable takeaways that you can utilize on LinkedIn to achieve your business and career goals. Welcome everyone. It's great to have you here today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Ann Beagle, who is a leadership coach, working genius facilitator, and runs Coaching for Positive Change. So in full disclosure, Anne is also a good friend of mine. We're both based in Baltimore. We're sort of married into the same family, right? Connected through family (laughs) a little bit. But I first met Anne several years ago. She is um, very well known in Baltimore for the work that she's done. And now she's really begun a new business, especially around working genius, And we recently did this with our team and it was fascinating. So I really want to um, have a great conversation around Working Genius. Anne, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Colleen. It's always great to join your podcast and see you outside of family functions. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And when we say Baltimore is often called small Baltimore, this is just a perfect example for those of you who are listening who are in Baltimore. And Give us just a little background from the work that you've done over the years and the segue into leadership coaching and what brought you to leadership coaching. And then we'll dive into working genius. But you have such a fascinating background. My education, I have an undergraduate degree in government and politics, and I did not initially seek out to pursue government or politics, but rather the nonprofit sector. And 30 years ago, I had a great mentor who gave me some guidance and really wanted to get into nonprofit management. And she said, these are the things you need to learn. And so I started working in different capacities to get these skills, one of which was understanding the political landscape. And I volunteered on my first political campaign, which I guess you could say I caught the bug. And that is something that I love. And it's something that I go back to either professionally or as a volunteer almost every year, or at least every election year. So I have worked in politics. I've traveled to a variety of states around the country. I have worked for nonprofit organizations, big and small, mostly in development. Uh, I've been the executive director of three mission-based organizations. The last organization I worked with was Star Spangled 200, which was the nonprofit organization that hosted the 200th anniversary of our national anthem and the big events at the Inner Harbor to celebrate that from every detail in terms of the nationally televised TV special, the air show with the Blue Angels, visits from President Barack Obama and Joe Biden, 
a fireworks display that made the Guinness Book of World Records, key partners being the U.S. Navy, the National Park Service, the city, the state, uh, you name it. It was a lot of details. It was a really big project, once in a lifetime, totally thrilled that I got to do it. But when it was over, we had a 90-person executive planning committee with 12 subcommittees that were very much working committees. And so when it was all over, I was like, I don't ever want to talk to another person again. I don't want to be on a conference call. I don't want to go to a meeting. Um, And I say that somewhat in jest, but (laughs) there was a little bit of truth. And I had decided that it was time to go out on my own. And I did initially consulting work primarily in communications or communications around lobbying efforts at the state and local level. Um, But I think the thing that got me looking at coaching was the work just wasn't hard or challenging or interesting. The people were interesting, but then the thing that the work wasn't difficult, the thing that always became difficult, no matter what I was doing, no matter what sector, whether I was working with a fortune 500 company or a nonprofit was the people and the human interactions, just how people showed up people with very big titles who did not show up with big leadership capacity or skill sets. It's a nice Um, way of putting it. (laughs) And, you know, I was, I was really perplexed about it and, you know, started thinking about how I showed up and, you know, how I engaged and that led, you know, down a path that plopped me in a leadership coaching program at Georgetown University that I completed back in 2017. And my first thought was I need to provide free coaching to anybody I've ever managed because I was doing it all wrong as a manager. (laughs) So I think I've learned a lot over the years and I've been coaching now for five years, uh, mingled in with some of my other consulting work that I do. That's so that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. And having been at some of the events related to the Star Spangled Banner, it was amazing. It was amazing. Everybody in Baltimore was always was talking about it. It was fabulous. So why did you choose Georgetown, which is really one of, considered one of the top coaching programs in the country, from my understanding? Um, it is probably the number one program. It was one of the first programs. And because the U.S. is ahead of other countries, you can say one of the top programs in the world. I actually sought it out because it was an easy commute. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't want to have to fly to get certified and incur all those costs. That was the first reason. But then as I look more closely at it, a lot of coaching programs are around a specific school of thought or a framework. And Georgetown is really comprehensive. They draw from a lot of different disciplines. They kind of give you enough to whet your appetite. And, you know, there's a lot of follow-up that you do on your own to go back and really dig deeper into the things that you enjoy or the things that, um, you know, I'm off in coaching and something will come up with a client and I'll think, oh, I remember from my training and I'm going to go pick up this book now and go to that chapter and, and dig a little deeper because I think it might be helpful. So that's why I chose Georgetown. 
And so then how did you get to the table group and dive into, <laughs> so now we're going to get to the working genius, which is, you know, Ann and I are like, oh, we like the working genius. I love a good assessment. And I told you that from the beginning. And I think that's why you said, hey, let's do this with your team. And I was like, all right, let's do it. I so, think there's something to being in the, you know, any anybody that goes and seeks a leadership coaching certification is somebody who's probably a little bit self-aware and pretty comfortable on the personal growth aisle of any bookstore hanging out there. And so I love this stuff. I love when new books come out. I love the assessments. And, you know, when you do a program like Georgetown, it's continuing education. You get together in DC with your classmates once a month for a couple of days. There's no big graduation ceremony, but you certainly feel like you have graduated because the next day, all the companies that sponsor these assessments start emailing you and say, come get (laughs) certified to facilitate Myers-Briggs, the DISC, and the list goes on and on. There are literally hundreds. And some of the advice that I had gotten from a Georgetown instructor was, don't react to all of that because you do, you open the emails and you're like, this is the best thing ever. And then another one comes the next day and it's the best thing ever, but to really just sit back, lean into the coaching, get some experience under your belt, get a sense of what your clients need and start selecting what else you'll get trained in based on that. And so I had given it some space and my husband who listens to a variety of different podcasts and is a fan, we're both fans of Pat Lanchoni and have read several of his bestsellers. And my husband was listening to his podcast and they were talking about working genius. And he said, I think you should listen to this. I think you'll really like it. And I did. I didn't just like it. I loved it. And it was a little bit different than the others. And so I looked into getting certified and was one of probably the first couple hundred of people to do that last summer. And I've been working the model ever since. So that's how I, that's how I landed with the table group. And why do you like it? What, tell me what drew you in? Cause I can share down in a few minutes, I'll share what drew me in and what I loved about it. But of course I want to hear what you have to say first. <laughs> Uh, Number one, it's really simple and it is immediately applicable. I find that by the end of a presentation with a group that they are conversing amongst themselves, using the language and talking about how they'll implement it, reflecting on past projects and being able to now apply the model to what they did and why it worked or didn't work. Table group talks about it in terms of its 20% personality, 80% productivity. And this was probably the thing that jumped out at me at first, because there are a lot of assessments. You take a test and you are labeled a personality type, a, a strength type or whatever. And Working Genius certainly has those. And I'm sure will ask me questions and I'll get into that in a minute, but that's only 20%. And the other 80% is productivity. And Working Genius is a model for moving through projects. Every company needs all six working geniuses. Every team needs all six working geniuses. Every project, every task really needs all six working geniuses. And I think of it as the personality part is the noun. You get assigned a genius or two geniuses and that's the noun. And we all love that. We all love to like 
reflect on ourselves. We love to compare ourselves to our coworkers, but 80% is productivity. And that's the verb. That's how do I activate this? How do I show up with my geniuses? How do I compensate for what are my competencies and my frustrations? So there's a real hit the ground running aspect of this tool. The other thing that I have come to love about this, and it was pointed out to me by a workshop participant, and that is everybody, there are six working geniuses and everybody only has two. So you, it starts from a positive place. You're a genius in these two areas, but you also show up acknowledging I'm not a genius in these four. So you're immediately vulnerable and you're immediately engaging those around you to see who can help fill the holes and looking at everything as where, you know, who fills the six roles that we need for this project or on this team or in this organization. So I've really come to to love that piece of it as well. And so we'll we'll dive into it a little bit. So two working geniuses, and then it just doesn't fall off the cliff, right? It's then what you're competent in. So you can kind of flex up and, but you can, as you shared with us, you can only stay there so long. And then it's a couple of areas that you actually get frustrated in, right? Like high frustration. So I think it's so interesting because when we did it with our team, wow, I was spot on. I have a whole three ring binder of all these assessments I've taken (laughs) over the years and what I loved about Working Genius was how it applied, not, not recognizing who I am, but how our team works together. So I think that that's really kind of a, a big differentiator for people who are pretty aware of these different assessments. It's typically about them and maybe how they can communicate with others. But I loved how this like just enveloped the whole team. So let's dive into... The work, what are the working geniuses? Sure. So there are six working geniuses. And this is one of the things that I love about Pat Lanchoni and his group is they are very good with acronyms and visuals and clever names. And the six working geniuses are wonder, invention, discernment, galvanizing, enablement, and tenacity. And if you spell out the first letters, it's widget. Mm -hmm. So these are the widgets that keep things moving. And wonder is, again, this is a little bit of a personality. So we're talking about types of people. These are people who love to speculate and question. They ask questions. Um, They're the ones that are paying attention to trends in the industry. They're looking around at what the competition's doing. They're the ones who are likely to say in a meeting, are we listening to what our customers are saying on this topic? They're just asking big questions. Invention. These are the people who love to come up with new ideas. And what's amazing to me, because invention is not my genius, is how they can come up with ideas completely from scratch. And a lot of times we think that the process starts with invention. You know, let's go do an offsite, have a blank whiteboard and come up with ideas. But everything starts with the questions and wonder that you've got to ask. Are you asking the right questions is the first question. And what should those questions be? And the inventors 
they listen to those questions and they start to answer them and they come up with solutions or new ideas. I think we've all worked with people who are inventors and are big idea people. And if we've worked with them, we usually figure out that not every idea is a great idea. And so the next genius is discernment, or letter D. And discerners are the people who help vet the ideas and really turn the, make sure ideas are good, that they're fully thought out, that they're in keeping with the organization's mission, that they're in keeping with the resources that are available, and really help take that big idea and make it a really good idea. The next step in the process is galvanizing. And galvanizers are people with the enthusiasm and they like to take action around these solutions that have, or these ideas that have been created by the inventors. These are the people that like to bring other people in and say, hey, let's get on board. This is why we're all getting on board. Let's move this project along. And then the The final two are what we consider the implementation phase, the first of which is enablement, and they respond to the rallying cry of the enabler, and they say, I can get behind this. They don't always agree with it 100%. It's often a personal thing, like they just feel that it's the right thing to do for the organization. And then our final genius is tenacity, and these are the people that like to make lists, like to you know, dot the I and cross the T, like to check things off the list and really get things done. And they're also people who usually have a very high standard for how things should be done. These are the sticklers. So these are the six geniuses. And if this were a visual venue, I'd be able to show you also that the first two are what we call ideation phase. The middle two are the activation phase. And the final two are the implementation phase. And I think this is really important to pause on for a moment because so many of our organizations focus on the invention, the big idea, and then implementing it and getting it done. And that middle phase, the activation, is really overlooked. And right now, people are excited about working genius. They're excited about what their type is. But I feel like this is the part of working genius that's really going to change the way businesses function, really giving time and attention to discernment and galvanizing. And that makes me really excited because as a coach, I read all the reports that come out from McKinsey and Gallup and whoever that say that you know high percentages of employees are disengaged, that they're dissatisfied. And I particularly see this as the lack of galvanizing or attention being put on galvanizing, because it's so important for employees to feel like what they're doing matters, that it's connected to the big idea, and it's part of the outcome and fulfilling that outcome and part of success. Um, So I really see this middle activation phase as a really important, they're all six equally important, It's a horizontal widget. It's not a vertical. There's no, you know, CEOs are not all full of wonder. I've met CEOs and people who are running companies who have implementation geniuses. Sometimes both of their geniuses are in the implementation phase. So that just goes back to, you know, a good leader is self-aware, knows what they are, and then immediately 
think, how can I pull in others to complement the other geniuses that I need? Yeah, it's so interesting. Every time I hear you talk about it, I feel like I pick up one more like piece to it, which is, um, of course, super interesting to me. And what's illuminating when you do this as a group, as a team, as an organization, is you start to see what's missing, right? Or where you're too heavy. And um, like, we don't have anybody on our team whose genius is discernment, right? We have two of us who it is our a competency, but not a genius. So no genius there. For people who know me, my genius is not in the implementation, right? It is, right? And we were talking and probably why you're such a great coach and facilitator is your one of your geniuses is discernment, right? Yeah. Which really does lend itself to that coaching environment to get to ensure that people are thinking about things differently and um, open to those ideas. So talk a little bit about, and you and I have talked about this. I'm going to ask you a very specific question. One of the, one of the things that I took away from galvanizing is, oh, wow, that might be, because I, I th- do think we tend to look at functional areas. Oh, that might be good for business development. And you made a really good point that that doesn't necessarily always align in that way. Correct? Correct. That. Uh, the galvanizer probably has a lot of personality traits that are similar to an extrovert or somebody who's in business development. But so we have geniuses, we have all six things. And I'm going to step back real quick to talk about there's two geniuses, then you have two competencies and two frustrations. And I'll talk about the analogy, which is the coffee cup. Your genius is your Yeti coffee cup. You pour your hot coffee in in the morning, you put the lid on, it's going to stay warm all day. It's going to, that caffeine is going to fuel you all day. It's going to make you feel good all day. Those are your geniuses. Your competencies are your typical ceramic coffee mug. You pour the hot coffee in in the morning and initially (laughs) it feels really good. It gives you that jolt of caffeine that keeps you going for an hour or so. But after a couple hours, it's room temperature and it doesn't taste so great. And you're like, why am I drinking this? Why didn't I buy a Yeti when I had a chance? Um, Because now I have to go back to the break room and fill my coffee mug again. And then your frustrations are easy easy to determine because they're the things you avoid. And they are the styrofoam cup that your coworker who's a prankster has poked up hole in the bottom of with a pencil. And so when you pour the coffee in, it immediately drains right out. They don't give you energy. They don't give you joy. (laughs) If you're in a meeting and your frustrations are being talked about, you're going to avert your eyes. You're not going to raise your hands. You're going to naturally kind of move away from these tasks. And one of the great challenges for all of us as managers, as employees who should be aware of themselves is competencies is really kind of the danger zone because our genius, we're in flow when we're working in our genius and we're happy and it's wonderful and we're more productive and frustrations we're ignoring. But when you're in your competency, you're competent. You can do that. You might even be praised for it. You're probably going to be praised for it because that's what, and that sucks you back into doing it more. Um, You might even be rewarded. It might generate a bonus of some type for you, but in the long term, it's burnout because it's not 
It's not the Yeti cup. It's not fueling you all day long. It's not keeping you warm. It's not keeping you caffeinated. And so that's really kind of the danger zone around competency. And what you were talking about before is part of the presentation is we take everybody's geniuses and frustrations and put them on a one page, what we call a team map. And you can see where everybody falls. But I also also post everybody's competencies because where there's a lack of genius, your next inclination is to grab people who have competencies in that. That's how this model was created. Pat Lencioni's competency is galvanizing, but there wasn't a natural genius galvanizer on his team. And so he got sucked into it all the time and he was burnt out and frustrated. And some questions around that led to him coming up with this framework, which is a long way of explaining the different the different types, genius competencies and frustrations. And now I'm forgetting what your question was. <laughs> um, just about the galvanite, like how I thought, you know, oh. like I, I, I tended to automatically go to a functional area, right? right? Because so many times when we're thinking about these assessments, we're like, okay, well, what's the prototype? What will make a good salesperson or a good BD person or the person that should be doing you know, the most tactical work. Right. And, and so I'm somebody who is not good at doing tactical work and all the details, but I'm also then don't like to hand it off because I think, Oh, everybody's going to think if I hand that off, right. I'm handing off all the yucky work. Well, they actually love that work. Right. Right. So it's like getting over, getting outside of your brain and be like, well, just because you don't like this work, this is what they actually like. And they don't want to be doing what you're doing. So just delegate it. Right. Like get get rid of that personal bias. And I think that you've just touched on there kind of two pieces to that in terms of our bias, which is positive, is we like a we show up in every meeting thinking the meeting is about our genius. And there's a good chance it's not. Mm -hmm. We tend to attract people who are like us, so have our own geniuses. But what you just said is sometimes we don't delegate because it's our frustration and we think it's everybody's frustration when in fact it's their genius and they love it. I was doing a presentation for a group and each person was talking about what their geniuses were. And a guy with tenacity said, well, everybody loves a checklist, right? And everybody who did not have tenacity as a genius was like, no, not right. (laughs) Some of us don't. But, and the reason I explained our genius competency and frustrations is we're capable of doing everything. You're not allowed to show up at work tomorrow and say, ah, that's my frustration. I'm not going to do that task. We can usually do our frustrations. We just don't get as much enjoyment from it. And so really the idea behind Working Genius is how do we as individuals and how do the managers and leaders amongst us try to optimize having our employees or having ourselves spend as much time in their genius as possible? Yeah, I was on a call earlier with a, a mutual friend of ours, Ellen Moore, and we were talking about this idea of you know people going back and you know starting to go back into the office and kind of re, you know, are we just going back to what it was two years ago? Probably not. What's defining that that uh, quote? You know, the new normal, which I really don't like that term. 
But this is such a good time as a business to bring something like this into the organization, because I think it'll be far more illuminating and team building than some of the exercises that may be currently on the uh, checklist of potential, uh, you know, things to do. And, you know, just renovating the office might not be actually the thing to do or giving up the office might not be the thing to do or whatever, but looking with fresh eyes at the people on the team and in the organization to actually make sure that they're working to their to their best right and into their their geniuses as much as possible is probably a really good thing to do the timing for this is really pretty good yes, i would and, i would say so and isn't the book coming out in the spring tell me a little bit more about that tell us about so that. pat book, which is called The Six Types of Working Genius, is the last I heard. It is due out in June. He has shared the first four chapters with people like myself who are certified facilitators. I've read it. Like many of his books, it's in the fable style, Mm -hmm. which makes it really easy to kind of follow along and grasp the concept. So I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out, but I think it, I think it will be a big splash. I think this is probably, there was a zoom call with Pat and he was talking about, you know, what it's been like for the past year, developing this framework. They now have over 250,000 people who have taken the assessment. So they're starting to see the data, starting to see the different pairings and what that might mean for an organization. And he was kind of reflecting back and comparing it to when Myers-Briggs came out in the 40s, that I really think he sees this as something that's going to have that level of impact on organizations. And my personal experience is I don't have a background in HR. I've sat through a lot of the different assessments, but I haven't ever studied any of them. But when I got certified, I was in a group of 50 people from around the world, uh, many of which were HR professionals who have spent their lives working with the various assessment tools. And their reaction to it was, this is a game changer. This Mm -hmm. is different from everything else that's come before. So, Mm -hmm. Well, I know that we have definitely adapted it. We are talking about it. We're we're actually talking about weaving it into our LinkedIn profiles because I yeah. do really like that. You know, when I see assessments, people have assessments, they're, you know, whatever, the ENFJ from Myers-Briggs or, you know, some of the other language from some of the other assessments that tells me something about that person in terms of how self-aware they might be. And, if I'm somebody who likes tools and am thinking about hiring that person, they've already sort of given me some additional insight, right? So, um, but we want to actually use it, use it for good and very purposefully, but it has definitely helped us. Um, I also know that you had a great engagement with somebody locally and the participants in that group who kind of a hard group. They're, they're, they're definitely an interesting group, hard in the sense, very discerning, hard and hard in the best sense of the word. There were, um, there were several discerners in the room. Yes. <laughs> I bet there were, I bet there were, and they loved it and they are a peer group. So they don't, they have lots of speakers that come in 
But what they said was that they had never participated in a speaker session where they interacted with each other. So it created even greater stickiness among their group. So really, really good things. I think that there's so many ways and that you can share this with the world and and take this into different types of groups and really help them think differently and get stronger, which, you know, ultimately will help the bottom line and engagement with employees. So, so many really great things. How can people find you, Anne? People can find me at annbeagle.com. It's A-N-N, B as in boy, E-E, G as in girl, L-E. That is my website. And of course, I'm on LinkedIn at LinkedIn, all those flashes and other things and Beagle. (laughs) Right, exactly. We'll have that in the show notes and everything. (laughs) And it, it has been so great talking about this. I could talk about this all day long because I just think it's absolutely fascinating. And and I think it's really important for teams, especially if they have been remote for a couple of years or you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out or you have new employees coming on board. I'm, I'm doing a training session in two weeks and the VP of sales said, I've got a team of 15 people. I've not met them yet. Wow. Right? She said, wow. so you're going to be there in the first day when... I'm meeting my team for the first time. So really interesting as we continue through 2022, just all these different scenarios, and we have got to find ways to bring people together and really um, increase that productivity so we can um, do the work we all do even better than before. So Anne, thank you so much for joining. It was great to talk with you. And again, we will have links to Anne's website, her LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And I hope you found this time valuable. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Thanks, Colleen. Connect with us on LinkedIn, get to know us there and on our website, interoadvisory.com. We have lots of valuable content and inside our membership site and even more beyond that. Thanks for listening. We appreciate a shout out on your preferred channel, a review or a comment on what you'd like to hear us discuss. You can listen in on Apple, Spotify, Google Play and other channels. Check out our tutorials on our YouTube channel too. Until next time, thanks for joining.